And I would hope that you'd appreciate the uniqueness of this situation and its effect on Agent Mulder. Now, I fully understand the effect it has on him, Agent Scully. As I recall, that was the sum and total of my last words to you on the subject. You let me down. Let's clean up this mess before it gets completely out of hand. Hello, and welcome to Condensed Truth, the Essential X-Files podcast. I'm your host, Shelby, and I'm Laura. And this week, we have a new guest, Megan. Welcome, Megan. Hello. We are here to discuss Season 4, Episode 10, Paper Hearts. This aired December 15th, 1996. It was written by Vince Gilligan and directed by Rob Bowman. So, Megan, what is your relationship to the X-Files? I started watching X-Files, like, seriously right out of college, like, when I first moved into my apartment, and then I fizzled out the middle of season five, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, but, like, the first time I sat down and watched it as an adult, I had one of those, like, Ratatouille flashbacks, <laughs> with, like, to my childhood bedroom in the dark, like, when my mom would watch it, and I would hear the, like, <laughs> theme song through the wall. I was like, Whoa. <laughs> it's so funny i have like yeah i have like the vaguest memory of it like probably being on when i was a kid at one point and me being scared of it but i like it it's it's good my husband who's like really all about pacing and he's like there's so much filler in this damn show everything's everything's like a movie they want to pace it like a movie but it's it's episodic and not like it's fine yeah <laughs> That's funny. Uh so the plot of this episode is Mulder has a dream that leads him to the body of a dead girl with the same MO of a serial killer he helped profile and catch years ago, John Lee Roach. Mulder and Scully follow the case to find the two victims left after finding Roach's trophies, cloth hearts cut from the nightgowns. Roach begins to make Mulder believed that one of the girls could be Samantha, his sister, leaving Mulder to spiral as Scully struggles to keep him together and to not go off the rails. She fails, but before Mulder's mistake of accidentally letting Roche escape could backfire tremendously, Mulder and Roche have one final confrontation where Mulder kills him. So we open with some nice little like twinkly kind of music and Mulder sleeping on his couch and he wakes and sees this kind <laughs> like of laser light that says follow. So he does. Yeah. Yes, yes, he's like a little cat. And he follows the laser light outside. Kind of a quick, you know, it's a dream. So he's suddenly at the park, Bosher Run Park. And he sees this white El Camino. And on the El Camino, there's the lettering for the laser lettering Mad Hat. And he follows the laser into the park. And he sees this young girl's body sinking into the earth. And he wakes up and he goes to the park. Next morning, there's an ex- excavation team digging and Scully shows up. And she's like, <laughs> what's up, Mulder? <laughs> you good? 
Yeah, how did he convince a whole crime scene investigation team? Like, do FBI agents have this authority? Like, they can just call in a whole team at 5 a.m. on a Sunday? They must. But right. I feel like they would have blocked right. his We're not coming out at 5 a.m. on a Sunday no. for this I'm dude, not. But no. Here they are. And Scully's immediately worried. Uh, she senses he has, like, anxious energy, that he is a very delicate place. <laughs> but he looks great. His mind is not right, but he looks great. He has a salmon shirt that just, like, really works for him. And he's wearing a leather jacket. Incredible fit. Shelby's like, this man is in crisis, but he looks hot, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's always true, but it especially just, like, peak Mulder. And she, he tells her, I had a dream. And she's like, what kind of dream? <laughs> <laughs> But he's actually right, as always, and there's a skull. They find a skull. Yeah, they, they found a bone, and then they cut to credits, and I was like, oh, so this is an episode of Bones. Got it. <laughs> yes. They, <laughs> the X-Files is the blueprint. Yeah. <laughs> so after the credits, we're back to the excavation. Scully's just getting more and more concerned. Tell me about the stream molder. <laughs> <laughs> and he, you know, is getting anxious because the excavation is taking too slow. And um, he ruins their perfectly beautiful, like, it's all set up and gridded. And he's just like, I'm going to take my hands and I want to put them in the dirt. <laughs> and like, I took forensics in high school and I, it just made me want to kill him. Yeah. Like just like no gloves, just like completely <laughs> fucking up all of this, <laughs> but like completely he messing up glove. all of this, like really meticulous <laughs> forensic work trying to get this skeleton out. Yes. Yeah, and Scully's like, uh, Mulder, you uh, are going to destroy evidence. We won't be able to find who killed her. He's like, I already know because this is my vision and I know who the killer is. And he's right, of course. This is Mulder's episode. He's going to be right for like 50% of it. <laughs> he's going to be wrong for 50% of it too. But <laughs> they go, They're back in the office and Mulder is catching Scully up on this. And he says the killer is John Lee Roach. Uh, serial killers love to have three names, so fits, tracks. <laughs> mm -hmm. Even even in the X-Files, too, because we had Luther Lee Boggs, jo John Lee Roach. <laughs> and yeah, like, he's lost a leather jacket at this point, but it's just like the lighting of the basement, the, the salmon jacket, the hair... <laughs> just, this is like the most pristine he's ever looked, in my opinion. I think this is a top Top one look for him. Uh, nothing but good things to say about this look. Love, love his, his, he's got his thumb just resting on his lip. It's perfect. I just want to capture this moment in a bottle and keep it close to my heart. Anyway, Mulder says, Reggie Purdue, which we met Reggie, but not we as a collective, <laughs> me as a person who has seen the entire show. It is an uh, episode in season one. I believe it's Lazarus or Young at Heart. It's actually Young at Heart. Anyway, um, he says, Reggie, Reggie Purdue brought me on because he thought I could get inside the killer's head. And Scully says, did Apparently, you? yeah. Oh, he did more than that. They're psychically linked now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. 
But Roach was uh, a vacuum salesman, which led him to meet a lot of people, meet a lot of children. And he, you know, found little girls to kill based on that. And Mulder says that he kept trophies, but they never found the cloth hearts. And it always bothered him because he wanted to make sure that they counted to 13, because that's what Roach admitted to. And he says, I guess they didn't. And so he's really confused why he's having dreams, why he found this body, like what is going on with him. And and Scully says, well, I think you just solved the case in your sleep. And she quotes this line he said in season two, the season two episode, Aubrey, where he says, a dream is just a answer to a question we haven't yet asked. I love her quoting her him back to him. That's cute. <laughs> I like it whenever she's like, I mean, you you said you explained this yourself already. <laughs> oh yeah. It's such a married <laughs> couple move. Exactly. Yeah. But they have this body they have to identify. And so we're in the morgue with the body. I there's a nice nice cinematography here where like the body is f- the skeleton is foregrounded and Mulder's back in the background kind of looking miserable, honestly. And I thought it was a nice little bit. But Scully has identified the body as Addie Sparks. And Scully, being the beautiful human that she is, is very cognizant of the fact that Mulder, this is a very delicate situation for Mulder for lots of reasons. The fact that he caught he helped catch John Lee Roach and the fact that his sister, Samantha, is also like a missing young girl. And so she asked him if he's up to identify the body. And he kind of just nods and it's like, stop lying to her. Are you really up for it, Mulder? Are you really? No. <laughs> no, no. We do get hot, hot Doc Scully yeah. in this. She's wearing her scrubs. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, Jillian is Hot very dog. beautiful in this episode. Like, yes, yes. She's so beautiful. And, like, David Duchovny is finally, like, reaching her level of acting quality, I feel like. Yeah, he's definitely the best whenever Mulder is, like, utterly depressed, which is, like, this episode, I think. Um, yeah, they're both very hot in this episode. It's it's good. Yeah. David Duchovny has this, like, impulse to sometimes, like, over... Like, get over-emotional with, like, Mulder feeling too depressed. But, like, he doesn't do that here, and I think it really works to his advantage as, like, an acting performance because it's, like, you just feel, like, the tension and the fear and, like, all of those emotions just radiating Mm -hmm. off his body and not just, like, him yelling. Yeah, he conveys (laughs) sad boy hours really well. Just absolute peak Mulder sad boy hours. <laughs> so they go to Pennsylvania to tell Addie's dad that she they found their her body. And it's a really good scene. It's really heartbreaking. And he has this whole speech where he says that he he used to think that missing was worse than dead because you didn't know what happened. And for like mm-hmm. most of that speech, the camera is on Mulder. <laughs> so it's very much like this is what we're getting at. Like this is Mulder's journey of, you know, you know, with his sister and everything. And this guy saying that missing isn't worse than dead is what he's realizing in the moment. But in a lot of ways, the fact that 
so much of this episode is driven because Mulder doesn't know what happened to his sister definitively. It kind of pushes back on this guy's idea of like, no, you were right the first time. Missing is worth than death. Like, Mulder wouldn't be doing any of this if he knew what happened to his sister. I just thought that was really interesting. I think in a way, too, though, a lot of Mulder's actions is like, yes, it's driven by like not knowing what happened to Samantha, but I think it's also driven by this possibility that she could be dead. And so I think I think both are true at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, yes, missing is is worse than knowing for sure they're dead, but sometimes knowing like what happened, like what actually happened to them can be worse than than not knowing because with not knowing there's many possibilities but with knowing mm-hmm. there's only one right and so i think a lot of molder's tension in this episode is yeah. him struggling with the fact of like okay he's operated under missing for so long but now he's starting to kind of come to the terms of the fact that like mm-hmm. no she might actually be dead and this might actually have been what happened to her mhm yeah, it's a lot of playing into his trauma mm-hmm. and just, like, mm-hmm. his brain spiraling. hmm hmm Yeah, it's like this kind right. of death of the hope that she's alive sort of way. Like, being confronted for the with the fact that, like, she actually might be dead is sort of, like, him, mm-hmm. like, needing to know whether, like, that's true or not. Just driving so much of his behavior, for sure. <laughs> uh, but But thank you, Rob Bowman, for the beautiful directing in this scene of just like sad boy Mulder like and then after he talks he like Mulder looks at the frame picture of Addie on the mantle and yeah the scene was really great this this is so heartbreaking oh my notes just have a little like sad dad and then a a sad face because it was just like oh this is a this is real sad and they did a good job Mm -hmm. like conveying the nuance of it all Mm -hmm. you can really get the sense of like Vince Gilligan's approach to the X-Files being like very procedural and like cop heavy because like like this in Pusher it's like yeah <laughs> this is extremely like cop energy it's not just like some vague monster it's mm-hmm. it's mostly rooted in like a, a human experience like losing a child a serial killer pure evil among the world that isn't you know demonic mm-hmm. or supernatural of any kind and as they're leaving the house, Mulder gets a flash of the El Camino, and he realizes that that might be where the hearts are, because Roach was a traveling salesman. Of course, he'd keep them in his car. So they drive to <laughs> Delaware. I always forget how close the states are. I mean, Pennsylvania and Delaware are not that far from each other. Yeah. <laughs> just crossing state lines, <laughs> it, it's, it beat an afternoon drive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is like this kid that owns the El Camino it's so funny he put flames on the car <laughs> this poor kid loves this car so much and and Mulder just takes a knife to the seat <laughs> I know oh. oh that kid's gonna be so devastated dick I hope he got reimbursed by the FBI <laughs> oh you know he didn't but god he's been restoring that car <laughs> Mulder doesn't fill out that paperwork. Ugh. And the uh, the kids <laughs> Canadian accent slipping through. Honest to God, serial killer owned my car. 
<laughs> we love it. We love the Canadian extras. <laughs> we love them. When they move to LA, I'm just going to be like, I'm going to miss them. Boring. I'm going to miss the accent so much. But he realizes it's probably in the camper shell. So they get the camper shell. I don't know why it cracked me up that he's like wearing dress shoes. Like, of course, he wears dress shoes with his suit, but like also, like, y'all do so much running. Like, why can't they let you wear sneakers? I think in the revival, they do. I think in the revival, I mean, because they're older too, that like David and Jillian are like, I'm not running (laughs) dress shoes at age. I don't know how even old they are, but Jillian's like 50 or whatever. Please don't make me run in heels. (laughs) It was already enough that she did that at like age 30. But they find the hearts in a copy of Alice in Wonderland. I feel like, why do so many weird people like that book, right? Why is that? I don't know what it is, but like, it is a really, it is a really like common thing. Like, why do serial killers like Alice in Wonderland so much? <laughs> Was, isn't the, uh, is the author a little sketch? Was he like writing it for cousins or just in a normal way that you write a book for your cousins? I really don't know. I don't know I don't anything know. about Lewis Those Carroll. Victorian English people, I'm like, I don't know what y'all are up to. Y'all are doing some weird Can't stuff. Trust y'all are them. killing your kids with like lead-based paint toys. <laughs> they've got <laughs> like bacteria-ridden baby baby bottles. They've got all of their needs taken care of and then like but they don't have modern technologies. So they're just like, I'm going to write a weird book to my cousin. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be based on math. But there are 16 hearts, so they're missing two victims. So the next logical conclusion is to visit Roach. And a bit of convenient storytelling where they have to check their guns in, and we are reminded that Mulder has an ankle gun. Um, first seen in Nisei in season three. And Roach is just shooting hoops. Tom Noonan is very tall. He's like taller than David Duchovny. <laughs> It's weird to have, like, David Duchovny have to look up to another human. (laughs) I think he's, like, six foot or so. Maybe, like, 5'11". I had to look this up because I made him in MLB The Show, but I forgot what it was. (laughs) (laughs) But he's like, hey, Mulder, what's up? And they ask about why he said that he killed 13 girls, and he's just like, 13's more magical, you know? 16. Boring. It's also, like, because y'all had evidence on 13 of them, so... (laughs) Why would I admit to more murders? Like, why would he admit to the three other murders if y'all already had them for 13? And so they're like, okay, just tell us who the other two are. No biggie. And he's like, no. I don't want to help (laughs) y'all. And Mulder's like, you could gain one ounce of decency in your entire life. And he's like, I really don't care about that. I mean, what else do you expect a silly, how how else do you expect a serial killer to respond? Like, like it's actually very on yeah. point. Like yes, yes. Why would he tell you anything? He's like, I've killed children. I I don't owe the world anything. I and guess. I like whenever they're like, you have nothing to lose. He's like, I also have nothing to gain from it. So why would exactly. I do it? And Roche does have an interesting tidbit where he says, I understand you take this very personal molder. What does that mean? Hmm? I mean, we know what it means, but why does, what does Roche have he's this to asshole. say? <laughs> yes. And so Roche says, oh, I'll tell you if you uh, make, make the shot. And Mulder is standing at the top of the key. 
So the furthest point from the the hoop, and he makes a a nice clean, nice clean jumper. He's on his Steph Curry shit. And Vince Gilligan, when he was asked about this in the little uh, bonus uh, interview, I or this little interview I saw with him, he said he wasn't on set that day, but he said that he heard that David Duchovny made it in the first <laughs> shot. <laughs> Which is very funny because there's a season six episode where he is also playing basketball and there's this deleted blooper I love where he he shoot he's supposed to shoot the ball, make it and go game. And he shoots it and he clanks off and he just goes, <laughs> I suck. <laughs> oh. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have to question the idea that he made it in the first shot. That's the toughest three pointer to make. On the Wikipedia, it says Duchovny played for Princeton. Like, he played on their basketball yes. team. And apparently... He loves basketball. Yeah, the guy playing Roche had to, like, downplay how good he was at basketball. Because, <laughs> you know, he's 6'5", <laughs> so naturally. He's just closer he's to the basket. There. Yeah. Yeah. I think the hoop is, like, 10 foot. Yeah. <laughs> you forget how... I, I was like... Oh, you know, I'll just, I'll go, there's like a park near me. I'll go play some basketball. I bought a basketball and everything as I played in church and I'm trying to shoot. I'm like, why is this so tall? Like, cause I only played when I was like younger and they like lowered the coop for us, like young girls. And I'm just like, this is so tall. How did these people do this? This is exhausting. <laughs> it's, it's nuts. <laughs> Could not make a shot to save my life. That's not good. <laughs> Anyway, Mulder makes a shot, and then Roche goes, you trust a child molester? (laughs) (laughs) It's like we don't negotiate with terrorists, and we also shouldn't negotiate with... Yeah, like, absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, Mulder just went to flex on him. He was like, he's not going to tell me this, but I want to show off my skills. He needs, like, one small win during this episode. That that basket is holding his entire <laughs> yeah. mental health together. Losing his mind, but he can still hoop with the best of them. <laughs> and he says, I'll tell you if you bring me my hearts. That's my deal. And my my beautiful sad boy is sad, and he's wearing glasses, and he's got his head resting on the office desk. I knew you were going to mention the glasses. I was like, oh, sad boy Mulder <laughs> in glasses. That's Shelby's kryptonite. Yeah, I mean, if if I'm just going to document how, like, hot i think he is i should just i'm I'm trying to be transparent with their audience you know okay this is this is (laughs) radical honesty (laughs) (laughs) and mother has another dream and he's back on the night that samantha disappears and we have we play the scene we have seen before them watching watergate playing stratego but grown adult Mulder instead of child Mulder wearing the King Jersey that was anachronistic and Mulder's going through it. He's saying his lines, but he's kind of like trying to understand why he's here. And then when the lights go out and the, the lights outside shine, he goes, not again. He's like, I'm going to stop it this time, even though I know it's a dream. So he grabs the gun, but instead of aliens, it is John Lee Roach. In very 70s, like, wig, hair, and, like, sideburns mm-hmm. they glued on his face. <laughs> <laughs> and he is just, like, lording over Mulder because he's crouched trying to grab the gun. And Mulder's still stunned. 
and Samantha's gone and he wakes up from his nightmare. <laughs> and now he's like, oh no. What was that? Uh oh. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> he's in the danger zone. <laughs> so we're back in prison to talk to Roche. And Mulder says, so that thing you said yesterday about me taking it personally, what did that mean? And then he says, where were you in 1973? But like very, very nice acting here. He's, he's a lot of fear is coursing through his body. Like he's mad, but he's not like anger, like yelling at Dwayne Barry mad. He's just like, where were you in 1973? And John Lee Roach says, I actually sold a vacuum cleaner to your dad or your mom. I just want to say, of course, Bill Mulder gets his wife a vacuum for like a present. Hey, don't knock a vacuum. <laughs> That's a present, Shelby. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a Bill Mulder I gift. begged for a vacuum for years and I finally got one. Well, do we think Tina Mulder asked for a vacuum? Yeah, that's no. fair. My vacuum actually was from the 70s, so I was asking for a replacement for a 40-year-old vacuum at the time. <laughs> <laughs> My family bought a Kirby, so the whole vacuum salesman mm -hmm. is such a throwback. <laughs> I love how he asked this man, what were you doing 20 years ago? And he remembers, and it's like, I don't know what I ate yesterday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then like, after they find the first, the second body, he's like, oh, I remember her name, which I guess, like, that's a more personal act. You would probably remember the name of someone you killed. But he remembers, like, a lot of details. <laughs> like, does he just have a very good memory or he's what? Just a like, what's with this dude? Yeah. <laughs> he remembers the model name of the vacuum. And I was like, one, it's, yeah. it's the princess model. And I was like, no one would ever name a vacuum princess <laughs> model now. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what was that thing like Bic made like pins for women or something? Pins for yeah, her? They were just like pink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they got shit for that. So like imagine like Dyson having a princess vacuum. It's also like the ink wasn't even pink. It was just like normal like black and blue ink, but like a pink outer shell of the pen. <laughs> That's so girl boss. I want to commit financial crimes <laughs> with the Bic for her. <laughs> <laughs> commit financial crimes in sparkle like glitter gel pen ink yes Ideal. yes i'm documenting my financial crimes in the Le lisa frank spiral notebook <laughs> your honor this document isn't legally binding because it's signed in pink sparkle gel ink and not blue or black <laughs> it must be black or blue it's not legally binding else. loophole <laughs> Yes, exactly. So Mulder is like, what do you know about my sister? And he gets so heated that Mulder punches John Lee Roach. Um, down th Thumbs down for punching a, a prisoner. Thumbs up for punching a pedophile. I'm very conflicted right. on this, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I totally agree. It's like, yeah, punch, like, punch, punching pedophiles is good, but also, you know police brutality it's also like of course the guard's not going to care that an fbi agent punched an inmate like they don't care <laughs> they they usually punch inmates yes. like yeah there have been multiple cases of inmates falling down three or four flights of stairs like like pedophiles in one-story mm -hmm. buildings yeah. 
Damn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the guard comes in. Roche is like, he punched me. And he's the guard's like, I didn't see anything. And then Scully storms in and she goes, I did. I did. Yeah. like cares about Mulder's <laughs> mental state. Yeah, she's like, okay, I don't really care about the pedophile thing. But like, you definitely should not be punchy- punching prisoners. This does not bode well for you, Mulder. <laughs> but I love her. I did. <laughs> So as they're leaving, Mulder's like, he knows something. He was there. He he knows what happened to my sister. Maybe he took her. Like, I don't really know. And Scully's, like, trying to settle him down and, like, talk logic. But this is a really great scene because, like, it's, like, this is Scully's, like, rationality, like, being such a huge asset. Like, sometimes mm-hmm. it's more of a nuisance or just, like, a, you know, perfunctory adversarial relationship she has. But this time she's really trying mm-hmm. to talk sense into him. And she says, like, he could have, it, What is it a state secret you lived on Martha's Vineyard? Like, he could have looked up some details about you. Like, you don't know this. Like, just settle down until we get more information. <laughs> he doesn't mention names. He's just like, your dad, your mom. Right. And, like, mm-hmm. he fa- Mulder falls for it so hard. It's, Scully's just like, I'm going to be your supportive best friend and be like, Mm-hmm. He's yeah, he definitely knows what he's talking about. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> and her very incredible line of on the net molder, he can find out practically anything about you. <laughs> yes. Very cute. <laughs> very nineties. <clears throat> and she she rightly points out that he's being played and that he went in there with the heart his heart on the sleeve and Roach saw that and took advantage of that and like she is fully right like she's completely and utterly right. She's like a manipulator manipulated you like you can't trust serial killers you can't trust what they say. But this is my absolute favorite scene in the episode I sent this to Laura before she even watched the episode (laughs) it means so much to me it's so good because as she's saying this, Mulder just looks at her and like there's kind of this like kind of odd like purple lighting going on. I don't really know what that's about, but it looks cool. Like it's a really cool color palette happening mm-hmm. here. And Mulder says, Scully, do you believe that my sister Samantha was abducted by aliens? Have you ever believed that? No. So what do you think happened to her? And we cut back to Scully and she just kind of like slinks her shoulders and like looks down because like she doesn't want to answer him. She doesn't want to tell him that she doesn't. And she hasn't ever thought that. But she also that's just a tough thing to tell somebody, especially when he's like doubting it himself. Right. Now. Like she can't say the truth, mm-hmm. but she also can't lie. But it's also like such a such like a brilliant insight into like the complexity of their relationship like even if she's never believed this she has always followed him on his like wild theories about what happened to samantha every time a clone showed up he was she was always there for him and she's still you know helping him chase whatever halfway around the country to find out what happened to his sister because like whatever whatever she believes is kind of secondary to it like it's important to him and so because it's important to him it's important to her and also like scully's beliefs like don't hamper her work in the same way like sometimes molders do like 
even if she doesn't believe it, she's like, well, I'm still putting in the work. Like, this still needs to be debunked. <laughs> yeah, no matter what she believes, she's out there like, I don't care. I'm going to collect the evidence. I'm going to analyze it. And then, if it conflicts with my beliefs, I'll have to wrestle with it. But anything, <laughs> any other time, it's like, mm, here are my beliefs over in this <laughs> compartment, and here is my work over in this compartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. A skill Mulder does not have. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not at all. And I know it's played for laughs, but I sometimes it always kind of irks me when they're like, wow, how does she not believe? And it's just like, she's not there to believe. That's what Mulder right. does. <laughs> like, this is annoying. Like, either, <laughs> like, this is a fundamental part of the show. I'm sorry that you don't get it. You're not intellectual enough to realize <laughs> like, that's the whole damn point of the show. <laughs> Um, but she, but Mulder's like, okay, so if you don't believe she was taken by aliens, why isn't this a plausible explanation of what happened? And, and so Scully's like, well, what do you believe happened, Mulder? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just so sad. Yeah. And Scully is very concerned because this is getting really dire. <laughs> we are bringing in like a, like a direct line to Samantha that is so dangerous. <laughs> Yeah, she's really just trying to protect Mulder from himself, mostly. So Mulder goes to Connecticut to visit his mom to find out if the vacuum part was real. We have a very brief Tina Mulder scene, but it's bare, it's it's manageable because she's in it for like maybe a minute. But I was not excited to see Tina Mulder. He starts to ask her questions. And she's like, I don't know. I don't remember anything. I had a sh- that stroke, remember? And he's like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. She's like, ugh. I mean, Mulder, she would have said that she didn't remember anything even before the stroke. That's just how your mother is. Right. She's really annoying. It's like now she has (laughs) the excuse of the stroke to just like bring up and hide behind to just like shirk any accountability now. And it's like more annoying. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's like, okay, yes, that's an actual trauma. You can't really counter her on that. So. Mm -hmm. And I guess in her defense, her like he's the question he's asking is like, look at these two heart fabric cards do either of them look right. familiar and it's just like how would i know <laughs> right he's like not asking easy questions but she's also like yes. extra not helpful but then he's like dad never bought you a vacuum did he and she was like well yeah he did <laughs> so he finds the vacuum it's just like this orb it doesn't have wheels i'm like how you just put it in the middle of the room and like vacuum was the hose long i don't understand how these vacuums work but it does give a bit of evidence to um, John Lee Roach's story. But it's also interesting because now it's like, well, did he actually sell a vacuum to her? Or was he just playing the odds that like someone would have sold a vacuum to them? And based on the fact that he lived on Martha's Vineyard, it would have been like a high-end like duchess mm-hmm. or princess model. Yeah. Yeah. Which we never actually get an answer to that, which is kind of cool. I like mm-hmm. that. Mulder storms into Skinner's office. Because Skinner has barred him from talking to John Lee Roach anymore. Because Skinner has watched the videotape of him punching John Lee Roach. Skinner is so (laughs) over Mulder. Especially coming off of the past two episodes. He's just like, no patience. Enough is enough. (laughs) No patience for that man. No, none. He mentions that he knows that he punched Roach and like Scully is walking in at this time and Mulder looks at Scully and then Skinner's like, she didn't tell me even though she should have. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, my God, this man is on a tear. Mm-hmm. Every line he says in this episode is just like so like laced with venom and irritation. It's incredible. Just incredible Skinner. So app, great. Honestly. <laughs> He's a dad at the end of his rope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. His his uh, rude children are doing crimes. <laughs> but also, like, Mulder, just take responsibility for the, for the fact that you punched Roach. Like, stop trying to shirk it on, like, Scully or Skinner or whatever. Like, you shouldn't have done that. But Scully's, like, really sticking her neck out for Mulder because she says, like, well, there are two hearts. We do need to find two bodies. Mulder knows Roach better than anybody. It's still his case. And Skinner's like, you're in charge of him. <laughs> Which is annoying because, like, he's a grown adult. Yeah. He does need being taken care of because he is losing his mind, but also he is a grown adult. Yeah, it's like she's not his babysitter. Like, I know she technically, mm-hmm. that's, like, her whole, like, a, the whole reason she was put on the X-Files, but it's like, she's not his babysitter. Like, she can't control him. Like, Skinner, yeah. you can't even it's control like- him. <laughs> yeah you and your siblings are your part your older sister's in charge but i'm leaving and it's like um what <laughs> yeah so we're back with roach scully is assigned to sit in now so mother doesn't misbehave again and roach is doing more mind games and roach is like why don't you guess you want to know which one's samantha you have a 50-50 chance. So Boulder picks one, and Roach is just loving this. <laughs> eating it up. <laughs> he is just, yeah. This is very reminiscent of Pusher, where like the guy is like, why do we keep giving this guy exactly yep. what he wants? Yep. <laughs> yeah, he's really got them in a corner, because they don't have any other evidence. And it's like, the only mm-hmm. thing they can do is keep talking to him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, not a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very much like how much is finding these dead girls' bodies worth in like the sense of like this is really dangerous. But he does tell them where the body he chose for the heart he chose was buried, and it's in West Virginia. So Mulder and Scully are there, and Mulder's getting really emotional digging it because he thinks he like truly thinks it might be Samantha. And they uncover the body. All these bodies are buried so shallow. Like, that's what I was thinking too. I'm like, they don't have to dig very deep to come across the skull. Yeah, I was like, there's yeah, there's a reason people are buried six feet down. Yeah, it's, it's to keep the animals away. Right. I would say there these bodies exactly. are in like woods and stuff. Like an animal would have gotten to it. Mm-hmm. How yeah, shallow he, they are. He can call in a forensics team at five a.m. on a Sunday on a whim, but when he has actual evidence from the killer, nope. It's just them and their hands. Their hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, oh, the shot earlier I mentioned, this is actually where it's like Mulder's in the background and the body's in the foreground. Mm-hmm. Um, I mixed up the morgue scene. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but he this is a like really emotional moment, like really, you know, confronting whether like this could be his sister laid on this table. And it's it's really great acting from David Duchovny. And he pulls the sheet down and he immediately keys in on her left collarbone because she broke it when she was a kid and it isn't broken on this body. So he realizes it isn't Samantha. But he's still, like, really upset. Like, this is very upsetting. Right. 
And they're like, well, this is somebody's kid. You know, we need to figure out who this is. So they return to Roach. So many times. <laughs> so many bad decisions here. But Roach tells him, like, the name of the victim and just, like, this very cool, calm, and collected way he delivers the, the, the fact that he, he's talking about, like, I had, I had her mom on the hook for you, uh, uh, Argus Odyssey or whatever it was, and she ended up saying thanks, but no thanks, and the, like, just haunting way he says, like, oh, Ooh, well. I wanted to punch Ugh. him so bad, and so does Scully, too. Scully just wants, mm. Yes. Yeah. It just is. I wrote, F this guy in his mind games. So I was like, I'm just so done with this, man. They keep going back at it. It keeps manipulating them, and it's just, <laughs> ugh. Yeah, but like Tom Noonan is doing an incredible job. Um, but like, yeah, he's he's not like this. He's not like a Luther League Boggs guy where it's just like his whole aura and energy is so disgusting and haunting. He's like this really normal looking guy until he starts talking, and even when he's talking, if you like ignore what he's saying, he just delivers it in a very like normal way. You know, like his speech pattern. And it's just, it's so creepy. It's so disgusting. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, what about the second one? He's like, oh, that's your sister. <laughs> and they're like, okay, like, do you have any more details? And he's like, you don't just want the details. You need me to walk you through it. And so just like full, like turning the knob of the mind games up like to 11. <laughs> and... He's like, you need me to show you what happened. And we realize, like, part of Roche's game is that he wants to be out of prison. Duh. He's like, I'm yeah. realistic. Maybe just a day for two. Yeah, he just wants to see a child again. And it's like, Ew. please don't. <laughs> no. Yeah. God, yeah. And and he knows Mulder's, like, emotional enough and, like, manipulatable enough to do it. Because <laughs> he is. <laughs> And then Roach Roach says, more than that, I can't wait to see your face. And Scully's like, gasp. And she's like, actually, fuck you. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing you're going to see is the inside of your cell. Get out of here, you fucking, fucking freak. finally, someone told him off. Like, oh. Yeah, yeah. She really put him in his place to then have Mulder just take, it right, <laughs> take him right out of that place. <laughs> You leave him alone for one second. Gosh. Just absolutely. <laughs> yes. Another shot I really like in this episode is when they leave. Mulder's like facing the, I don't even know if it's two-way glass. It probably is, but the two-way glass where you can still see like Roche with his like hands on his face and then like the reflection of Mulder. Just some really nice shots here of like Scully mm-hmm. being like, we can't give him this, Mulder. You know this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and Mulder's reflection and Roach and all that. Just really great shots. So, of course, what does Mulder do? He takes Roach the out. The dumbest decision ever. He he needs to know. Awful decision. He needs to know that badly that he is willing to, like, risk the lives of everybody out it's there. It's as if there aren't other ways to find out, though, either. Like, you don't have to give in to Roach's want. Like, you don't have to give in to his demands. Like, ugh, <laughs> yes. Mulder. Mulder's putting me in an, a very compromising situation where I cannot endorse this at all, and I must offer my most critical 
condemnation of his actions of letting a pedophile out um, as the uh, I don't know if I'm the president of the Mulder fan club, but as the treasurer <laughs> of the Mulder fan club, I, I would like to offer our, our sort of serious condemnation of his actions in this episode. So, of course, like he's on the plane and Roach like immediately spots a little girl because like he's a pedophile. Like, yeah. Did you not need an ID to get on a plane in the 90s? Is that my understanding? <laughs> like, this man probably has no ID, no wallet, no anything. Yeah, you, it's, you, I don't think you did need an ID to get just, on a plane in the 90s. You just had a ticket and you just got on. Wow. Well, also, like, since he's with a federal agent, I feel like he gets to, they have, like, different rules for that and everything. Yeah, he did have his gun, like, right there on the plane, and I'm like, whoa. Strange. <laughs> I was corrected. You do have to have an ID to get on a plane, even in the nineties. Wow! You could get through security, but okay. not on the plane. Apparently, mm. so, okay. He must. And there must be a, a different federal protocol for agents doing like. My wife's family is full of pilots. So. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah, I feel like they made you start getting an ID after all those uh, hijackings in the set. Probably, yeah. Scully gets the unfortunate task of having to tell Skinner that Mulder has taken Roach out of prison. And so she gets yelled at, even though she didn't do anything. But he's like, she's trying her hardest. He's like, I told you not to let him do this. And she's like, I told him to go to sleep. Like, how am I responsible for his, like, every single waking it's moment? It's like, Scully's like, how do you think I, do you think I let him do this? I didn't let him do this. He just did it. Yes. Like, like, you know Mulder. Yeah, the writers won't let us live together yet. I don't know what he does all the time. <laughs> exactly. And and poor Scully is, like, defending him. Like, sir, I would like, I'd like for you to consider what a delicate situation Mulder has been put in and, like, what a fight, like, a emotional situation this is for him. And Skinner's like, I really don't care about that. <laughs> like, that's not an excuse. Like, please stop trying to cover for him. <laughs> so Mulder and Roche go to a house and he's like okay walk me through it here we are and roach you know talks about he's basically telling Mulder's recollection of what happened to him and then after his whole thing <laughs> uh Mulder's like wrong house you're in the wrong house <laughs> <laughs> so he's like you know like you were never here you never took samantha and we get the, like, X-File part of this episode in that, like, this is what's like a mind-nexus connection between Roach mm -hmm. and Mulder, which I love how, like, little energy sometimes Vince puts into, like, the X-Files part. He's like, okay, like, I'm going to tell this story, and, like, this is my little, like, connection of, like, and it's kind of perfect. I like, love it. I love it. Yeah, like, this is my avenue of telling this story. It's just, oh, yeah, they had, like, a mind connection. He got into his dreams. It's, like, not that big of a deal. <laughs> but this house was one his dad bought after the divorce. It's a completely different city. And <laughs> Roach is saying, it's geography, man. It's just geography. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then Mulder's like, And you're in the wrong house, you stupid son of a bitch. You were never here, you liar. Yeah, <laughs> so good. You, you were never here, you liar. <laughs> you activated my trap card. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, he, he really did. He, he really tricked him. And so Mulder's like, Okay, I know you didn't kill, you didn't take Samantha, you didn't kill her. I'm satisfied. And so he's like, okay, plane first thing in the morning. I guess they don't fly planes that late, but like, why did you not drive? I guess it would have been more dangerous to drive. It's also like, I feel like he could probably, I just, 
Why is there not more of a security detail? Why is it just Mulder? Because I feel like there should at least be like maybe like like two like local cops with them at least or like maybe because like like Mulder like he checked out an inmate. It's not like it's a secret. He checked out an inmate. So why can't he just like take Roach to like a local like jail for overnight holding before the flight back to the Mm -hmm. actual facility that he's supposed to be in. Besides it wouldn't be good for the plot. My thought here is that like, because he was, he was, he knew he was going to get in trouble the second he took him out of prison. So he was just banking on like getting a head start. And so like, I think his logic is like the least amount of attention I Kid, um, right, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, draw you know, to the situation get to yeah. myself. Um, and also he's such he's such a fool. I feel like he just thought he <laughs> could handle it. Sometimes, you know, like he was just like, "No, it's fine. I got this. <laughs> I'm Fox freaking Mulder." <laughs> okay, I have my ankle gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm double barreling it. Anyway, this mess just it's like God spilled a human Fox Mulder. Falls asleep while watching Roach. So Roach gets in his dreams and manipulates him, seeing him save his sister. And then he realizes he's in the dream because it's just a laser that says bye. He wakes up from the thumping of Skitter and Scully outside the hotel room. His hands handcuffed together under the table, so he has to flip the entire table over. to get to the door. <laughs> oh Idiot. my god! This, this man. <laughs> god. So now Skinner is face to face to Mulder. He can finally yell at him. He had just been yelling at Scully. Now Skinner can be like, "What the hell are you doing, you stupid bitch?" But at least Mulder has enough respect and like guilt to like be contrite right he's not making excuses he's just like yeah i really fucked up here didn't yeah, I, mean, I there's no excuse he could make, yeah right? yeah mm-hmm. at least he he has that going for him <laughs> so they're they quickly get on roach's trail because Mulder's a smart dude he remembers the girl from the plane they go to her daycare the poor daycare employee the like she was so distraught. Saw, saw a man with a badge and was told the story. And she was like, oh, of course I will let this authority figure take this child. And she's upset because she got duped by Roach. And she's she's just saying, I don't know what I'm going to tell her mother. Like, it's all my fault. And Mulder very kindly interrupts her to say, it's not your fault, it's mine. And she looks kind of confused. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> She's like, and who are I you? I mean, rightfully <laughs> confused. Like, it is like, yeah, Mulder, this is your fault. It's not this daycare worker's fault. But also, like, she doesn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. Then Scully is brilliant and genius. And it's just like, well, Roach lived here in the 70s. You think he would go back to where he lived? Which is in Revere, which is like the more like working class neighborhood. Um, I visited it and ate some very good Italian food there. Boston has a lot of really good Italian food. If y'all ever go eat Italian food there. Cool. And he lived on Alice Street and Mulder's like, Alice, Alice in Wonderland. Yes, absolutely. He's there. <laughs> <laughs> and so they go to the apartment. He's not there, but they realize there is a bus trolley depot next door. And Mulder's like, ah, 
I know where all this happened. So Mulder goes, like, scales the fence. Every, you can hear Skinner say, like, find the entrance. And Mulder's like, oh, I'm just going to climb over some barrels and hop the fence. Which, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Skinner, like, before this, when they go to uh, Roche's house, like, he whistles and everyone moves. And I was like, oh, man, this guy is not messing around. He's so powerful. He's so good. He really episode. is. Yeah. This is such a good, this is a really, I mean, I think all three of them are so fantastic in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like, just chef's kiss. So It's so emotional, and I think it's, like, just really well done, and everybody's firing on all cylinders, and Tom Noonan's incredible. Mulder hears Caitlin scream, the girl he took. And so he finds the bus that she's on. And the way he immediately hops, he gets on the bus and the first thing Roach says is, I'm beginning to believe we do share that nexus you spoke of. (laughs) You always do seem to find me. (laughs) He's just brilliant. He's a beautiful, brilliant, smart idiot. (laughs) So Mulder tells Caitlin to count to 20. And there's a very tense scene because... Roach has Mulder's primary gun pointed at Caitlin, and Mulder has his secondary gun pointed at Roach. And Roach, you know, teases him Mm -hmm. and says, how are you going to find the last victim without me? How sure are you that it's not Samantha? Are are you really going to kill me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not going back to prison. And as soon as Caitlin gets to, like, 19... He shoots and kills Roach. Poor, poor Caitlin. Yeah. <laughs> that poor girl. She's so traumatized. Yeah. Oh my she's god. She's gonna be in like when she's sixteen. She's gonna be like, okay, so there's this stupid FBI agent. He put me in danger, but then he also did save my life. It's very conflicting. <laughs> you know, the FBI is not gonna pay for that therapy either. <laughs> I hope they do. I hope they have some sort of like victim services or something. Um, but if they don't, yeah, that would be really fucked up. Yeah. So we have this last scene in the basement and Mulder's looking very sad at the heart. And Scully comes in and she's like, we'll find her. And Mulder's like, how? Like, there's just absolutely no way to find this girl without Roach. Like... Maybe something comes up and they find her body somehow, but for the most part, like, there there really isn't any way to find her. And Scully says she doesn't know, but she knows him. And so she's, like, very much, like, putting her faith in Mulder. It's very sweet. <laughs> and then she says, Mulder, why don't you get some sleep? And he just, like, looks up at her and, like, has this goofy grin and laughs at the idea of, like, sleeping after having nightmares for, like, the past couple of weeks. And then, like, the very sweet and beautiful hug that they do. hmm I love it so much. Life-changing. Cute little head pat in there. Really, yes. really reassuring. Yes, absolutely beautiful. Life-changing. Amazing. Um, I do like that we, um, I was going to say that I like that we, we don't get like the answer to the last victim um that like sometimes we like the risk of basically Caitlin's life in versus like trying to figure out what was 
like if the last victim was his sister or not like the fact that like the obvious choice mm-hmm. is just not knowing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's all i have yeah, to say about totally the agree. sorry yeah <laughs> that's okay um so now we have our segments we will start with agent Mulder. shut up Mulder. damn it Mulder. Mulder! the Mulder rating and i will start and I regretfully have to give him a nine. There's no way out of it. And that is my highest rating. Um, I think the highest rating before this was eight. I have slacked on updating the Excel sheet I had to save all their ratings. <laughs> so I will get back to that because I wanted to track the, uh, the chart. Anyway, it's a nine. You just can't let a pedophile out of prison. You really you can't. just can't. You can't do that. And expect me to give you lower than a nine. Yeah. Anyway, alas, Laura. Um. Yeah, he gets a 10 again because he let a pedophile out of prison and is kind of wholly responsible for Caitlin's uh, entire life-changing trauma now. So not only did yes. he let a pedophile out of prison, but he's also the reason why this girl is now traumatized for life. So yes. Big, I'm big, like stubbornly holding on to my tin. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm saving this tin. I'm giving him one tin the entire show. <laughs> I'm saving it. <laughs> Megan. Yeah, so I I just like put tally marks down every time I rolled my eyes at this man. <laughs> oh my goodness. And I wow, start, I love it. And I started with when he just ruined this forensic team's work. And I ended with when he put the, the, the last heart in his drawer like yep that's file storage and i was just like the evidence handling throughout this whole thing was so bad but i had to give him like half a point off because he's just dealing with this trauma so it's a nine and a half yeah okay okay that makes sense so uh this must be the enigmatic agent scully our sassiest scully moment laura it would definitely be when scully was talking to Mulder and was like, is it a state secret that you lived in Martha's Vineyard? Like, <laughs> A+. plus. She wasn't really that sassy during this episode because Mulder is just having a hard time, like TM, you know? But, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I really enjoy whenever she's trying to get him to think critically about what's going on and not just follow his emotions and is like, is it a state secret you lived in Martha's Vineyard? Like, no. Like, anyone can look that information up. Yes. Megan. Um, so, like, when they're interviewing him for, like, the second time, and Scully's actually in the room, and he, and Roche says something, and Scully's just like, prove it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, mine, so my sassiest Scully moment is definitely, uh, I did. Your <laughs> <laughs> other punches wrote. But I want to give, like, an honorable mention to just, like, Skinner's entire deal oh, this episode. Absolutely. Because yeah. when I watched this episode for the second time, it was just like, oh, my God, this man is just barely tolerating Skin Like, Mulder, just, yes, yes, everything about it. Loved it. Yeah, he's literally it's, at the end of his rope. And next. Welcome. You've got mail. Our 90th moment. Megan. Um, It's got to be the word butt munch. <laughs> In the flashback, 
Great choice. Samantha calls him a butt munch, and I was like, I know that's not a word from the 70s. That's a 90s word. I called my brother a butt munch. <laughs> You're so right. Yeah. That, that, does seem, that doesn't seem like a 70s word. Um, It would have to be the flames on this El Camino that this kid is restoring. Oh my God, yes. Yes. Because it's very much like I'm a young, like, like late teens early 20s man who came across this vintage 70s el camino and i'm gonna restore it and put flames on it because what Mm -hmm, else do you do mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and no one no one this is a point where no one's gonna call you cringe you can't do that today people will call you cringe or like you're doing it ironically or something but this man is genuinely earnestly putting flames yes absolutely that was my first choice and then i had like a bunch there were this is a very 90s episode Mm -hmm. i feel like because I'm just going to list mine out. No, I actually only have two after this, but vacuum salesperson. Yeah. Very 90s. I mean, it's before 90s too, but I think the 90s is like the last, last of the vacuum salesmen, a last of like the door-to-door salesmen. Mm-hmm. Like who is going to open their door now? Every time someone knocks on my door, I'm like, who? Who is this? Hey, man. You need to text me if you're coming over. <laughs> the last time I opened the door for a random person, it was an Xfinity guy and he saved me like... 50 bucks on my internet. And I was like, okay, I'll open my door for Xfinity. <laughs> One Hell good yes. door opening experience. Yes. I did have someone like trying to recruit me for their church. It was so weird. I lived like in a poorer neighborhood, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but I was just like, hello? I remember. <laughs> like, what are y'all doing? One time I was in high school and I was over at my best friend's house and this guy knocked on the door and it was like us home and like her two younger siblings. And this dude, like, I mean, he was trying, he was trying to rob, to, to rob us, but like, he, he like, he was like, oh, like talking about like home security and like cameras and like places to put cameras and like wanting to come inside the house to like Mm -mm. give like a quote and like a recommendation on like where to put security cameras. And I was like, girl no like close the door i just said we don't want any bye and like close the door in his face and locked it i was like why are you talking to him (laughs) so don't open doors (laughs) yeah and then my second one is on the net molder he can find out practically anything about you (laughs) (laughs) so that was the episode i love this episode it is easily top 10, maybe top 5 episodes of The X-Files. Uh, I don't think I need to rehash it, but incredible acting by everybody. I- incredibly emotional story. It's one of those things where it's like, you know this this episode isn't going to like throw away Samantha's whole like the driving force of Mulder being his sister was abducted by aliens. It's not going to throw that away. For like a serial killer but i think the episode does it so deftly that like it's not that you think it's true but you know Mulder is susceptible to this kind of stuff and so the emotional journey is what matters and the fact that like you don't think it's going to be true or you're fairly confident because you know the idea of like storytelling that it isn't going to be true mm-hmm. that doesn't matter as much because this episode is about Mulder's em- emotional journey and just introducing the idea that like it's kind of it's interesting because it kind of runs counter to the show's like mythology in the sense that like the mythology everything is 
And there's nothing random about it. It's all planned. It's all being orchestrated. It's being controlled. And this is like, what if his sister just died because it just got unlucky? It's just some serial killer, like, keyed in on her. Like, what if that's, that's how the world works? Like, what if the world is just chaotic randomness of evil and good? And, and, and what if that's what's happening here? <laughs> it's not this big grand conspiracy. And it's, it's just really interesting. I think it's mm-hmm. a great episode. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, it, this is like whenever I think of like what I like about the X-Files, it's, it's this episode. This, this is the type of episode that I really like. I, I tend to like the more procedural things. And I like, I like that this episode is more rooted in human nature than it is in something purely supernatural. I like that. And like the fact that it's like well written. It's like a it's a Vince it's a Vince Gilligan episode. It's it, mm-hmm. it hits all the beats for me. Like it, yeah, I I really love this episode. It almost felt season one in a way to me, but like not but like a a grown upon, like a built upon like season really one polished. episode. Yes, very polished yeah. season one episode. Where it's like slightly more procedural and like Scully is like being the more logical one but it's rooted in like these really human emotions and i mean ultimately in in the want to know but i also like how at how at the end ultimately we don't always get to know um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's yeah it's great i i loved it this is definitely one of my favorite episodes period yeah i like this one a lot it it wasn't a heavy mythology one because some man they some of them they lose me man (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) but it at the same time it was like this is such a like normal thing that normal people with trauma go through is like you Mm -hmm. can be so played by your trauma Mm -hmm. and it's just like wow it was like conversation on the rock it's like this man has trauma this this man has been sad and now someone gets to like manipulate him and he he seems very selfish the whole episode but that's kind of how trauma presents a lot of the time but then at the end he made the selfless choice and saved this little girl as opposed to knowing if it was Samantha or knowing where this dead girl is Mm -hmm. so yeah um so that was the episode. I hope y'all liked it as much as we did. It's a fantastic episode. I love Vince Gilligan episodes. And you, if you'd like, oh, I forgot. Yes. Megan, you have something to plug, actually. Oh, yeah. I have my own podcast. Well, it's not my own. It's a group effort. Uh, it's an actual play, 5th edition, Dungeons and Dragons podcast. It's Derps and Dragons. Uh, I guess at the time this is being released we'll probably be releasing episode five or six so yeah sick tune in i will uh i'll add it to the description if i remember hopefully i remember (laughs) (laughs) i would make a note for myself to add it to the description absolutely yeah uh, but it's good. I, I've uh, I listened to a couple episodes. It's very fun, and it's not flabby. Like sometimes D and D podcasts are too flabby. Yeah, we're we're trying really hard to like have fun and not get bogged down in like rules or, well, sometimes there are rules, but you know, right. but you know, it's it. We're just trying to convey the amount of fun we have playing as a group to the audience. 
So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yes, yes. And uh, y'all are Derps and Dragons on Twitter, correct? Yes. Derps and Dragons okay. on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Perfect. You have more than one platform. I am like, I don't want to run an Instagram. I deleted <laughs> Facebook years ago, so I'm just on Twitter, which I like va- like barely tweet on the podcast Twitter account. We love it. We love it, Shelby. <laughs> See, I have, I'm just like... I have no experience with Twitter. It was like, uh, I guess we need one. I like set up the Instagram and was actually posting to it, and then I was like, I guess we should put it on Facebook for like, you know, the older generation of Dungeons and Dragons people, and then like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess we need Twitter for Twitter people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our podcast is Condensed Truth on Twitter. Again, I barely tweet on it. <laughs> um. But you can find you can. I figured out that you have to actually check the DMs, yeah, um, <laughs> because it will not alert you if you if someone sends a DM and like you aren't mutual. So anyway, I will be checking them more often. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, so you could uh, check us out on Twitter. We are condensedtruthpod at gmail dot com. Uh, next time. Which we might have some kind of scheduling stuff come up, so hopefully we get to release in two... We're not off schedule, we release two weeks after this episode. But if something comes up, I'll post on the Twitter and we'll try to get some... Uh, We'll try to, you know, let y'all know if we're going to be late or anything. Mm-hmm. So next time, we will be talking Season 4, Episode 12, Leonard Betts. I'm doing a head wobble. It's a really good episode. It aired after the Super Bowl. I'm hyped. So yeah. That's it. Everyone have a nice weekend. And thank you so much to Megan for coming on. Thank Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was a blast. You'll have to have you back on for an episode that like you've never seen since you stopped in season five. We'll have to have you on for like five or six or something. For sure. Awesome. Anyway. Bye. Bye. Bye.